Well, welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to see you. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, man, you look good this morning. Come on, say it like you mean it. You look good this morning. There's some 14-year-old boy that's sitting next to some girl that's saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for a pastor that's connected to the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're welcome. Uh, it, is, it is really good to see you. I hope you've had a great week. Have you enjoyed fall, winter, now fall again? If you don't like the weather, it's going to change, right? Welcome to Wisconsin. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Don't you know, Dre? You know what I'm talking about, right? It is, it is crazy, but good. I've been singing Christmas songs all week. You may not like that, but I'm eating a lot of food. I'm liking that. And uh, had to eat that Halloween candy fast because it's snowing. It's time, you know. So I, I just, I mean, my food groups, like candy corn, anybody else? I love candy corn, man. I'm just, can I just, I, like, I travel with candy corn this week. It was the week, right? So it was just like I, everywhere. So anyhow, uh, but uh, I, uh, I'm really, really, really glad to be here today. I think that I've got a message for you that's going to be inspirational and motivational. It's also going to maybe help you in your, your walk Monday through Friday and how you live life. Because I know things are busy. Things are crazy. Uh, you're coming in here with a lot of stuff. Some of you have had a great week. Some of you have had a horrible week. Some of you have just things that are just prolonging and nagging and how do I deal with. And so I think this is a great, 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 great message for today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament. It's not a drink from Starbucks, I promise. That's on page like 1,086 in my Bible. Habakkuk, if you need to go to the table of contents, there's no shame in your game. Go to the table of contents. Habakkuk, chapters, I'm going to walk, I'm going to be in chapters 2 and 3. I'm going to kind of skim through chapter 1. I'm going to hit three chapters today. I'm going to kind of skim and skate through one um, as we're talking today about waiting. And what do you do from the time that you've asked God to show up and before God shows up? What do you do in that time? I hope that you'll be back next week. Next week, as we continue on the series, Why? We're going to talk about what happens when you pray for something to happen and it doesn't happen. What happens when bad things happen to good people? What happens when you pray for someone to be healed and they, they die? What happens when you pray for someone to be, their lives to be changed and they're not? What happens? Is the Bible dead in that moment? Does God only work for certain people? Are there certain things you have to do or don't do? Is this based on church attendance or how much you give in the offering? Or, or, or is, is it beyond your control? Is, is God only good for the sweet by and by but not the here and now? And this week was one of those weeks where that message that we'll do next weekend, I hope you'll join with me. And I'm telling you, you don't want to miss next week. But it was one of those messages that has really been, it's very interesting how this played out. It's kind of hit this week. Uh, I was in, uh, out of state. I was in Missouri for some meetings on a board that I sit on. I was uh, going to an early dinner on Thursday. And uh, I don't keep my phone on. Like, it's on, but I don't keep a ringer or a buzzer. or I, I just, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. It's just it's one of my idiosyncrasies. And uh, one of many, my wife would say. And so anyhow, it's one of those things. And so I, uh, but I got a, uh, a text, uh, uh, two phone calls and a text from a buddy that said, 911, you need to call me. And a friend in, in Georgia, in Atlanta. So I was with the guy, I was with an individual, and I said, hey, do you mind if I take this call? I'm so sorry. 
And he said, no, no problem. And so I said, what's going on? And he, uh, he said, uh, uh, Randy Valamont just passed away. I went, what? He goes, I- I'm on my way to the hospital. Uh, he'd had some complications with the surgery he had. I said, I know he had surgery on the 22nd. And he and I were texting. We played golf about a month ago together. And, and, and he's, what? And he goes, Aaron, he, he's dead. 59 has three daughters who are all grown. His two nephews, one's a freshman in high school, one's a senior in high school. Both of his nephews, mom and dad, both passed away within the last four years. One in a car wreck, one to cancer. He's raising them, he and his wife. Pastor a great church in the Atlanta area. Thousands of people, thousands of people. Randy's been here. Randy's done board retreats, staff retreats. Kevin and Noel Miller, that's their home church. That's their home church pastor. Noel Miller, her dad, David Fields, and Randy are best of friends. And had a, some, some discomfort, went in, one thing led to another, and had a seizure, and don't really know what all happened, and uh, they lost him. 59. Why does that happen? I don't know. Um, Friday morning, I got up. I'm taking a shower. I hit the gym, went to the shower, and I'm just like, God. I mean, I'm just, this is how I pray. Yeah, I think you kind of pray without ceasing. And I'm just, God, why? Randy's gone. I I don't mean he loved his wife. He loved his kids. Um, I don't get it. Yesterday morning, I'm brewing my coffee at, at the house, and I'm just like, God, I'm not questioning you, but I don't understand. I don't get it. I'll board a plane on Tuesday to be at the viewing and the funeral on Tuesday night and Wednesday. And uh, if you ever have felt like that, Next week, you don't want to miss, because that's what we're going to talk about. Not about that, but we're going to talk about what do you do, and what does God's Word say, and what do you do in those moments. Today, I want to talk to you about waiting. I've asked God to do something. I've asked God to show up. I've asked God to intervene. I've asked God to, 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 to give me wisdom. I've asked God to, do I take this job? Do I not take this job? What career path do I take? Uh, I've asked God to give me direction and some decisions that I have to make financially in my life or relationally in my life. I've asked God to, 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 to take my prodigal sons and daughters and bring them back home to him. I don't know what's going on. I've asked God to restore my marriage. I've asked God for healing. I've asked God for deliverance. I've asked God to, to help me in this area. I, I've, I've asked God that he would, and it just, I've asked him, I feel like there's kind of, I kind of got a direction, but nothing's happening. And there's that moment from where God says he's going to do something, and you pray about something, until the moment where it's fulfilled. What do you do in that waiting time? Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk was a prophet. Now, prophets in the Old Testament were men who basically were the voice of God to the nation of Israel. They were the ones that heard from God and then told, told the people what was going to happen. We today know that through Jesus Christ, that we have our great high priest is Jesus, and he's the one that speaks to our hearts and speaks to our lives individually. That's so, what's so awesome about the person of the Holy Spirit. But this is 600 years before the birth of Christ. And this is in a period where the nation of Israel has gone from this 
doing really, really well and prosperous to completely gone downhill to injustice and corruption and violence. And, and Habakkuk is beside himself. He's confused. He's perplexed. He's baffled. He's disappointed. He's angry of why would God allow this? Why is this going on? Why doesn't God show up? Uh, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God judge them as he has in the past? And in chapter 1, Habakkuk just doesn't hold back. And if you read it, I'm not going to read it for you today. But basically, Habakkuk says, God, you're not listening. You're, 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 you're not allowing. You're, you're not working. Where are you, God? It's one of those Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone moments. And God answers finally in chapter 1. And he says he's going to allow justice to come at the hands of the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians were the number one superpower in the world at this point in time, but they were the most corrupt, vile people on the face of the planet. So they were the antithesis of what Habakkuk thought should happen. They were the opposite of what he thought God should do. And it makes him even more frustrated, even more perplexed, even more because of the injustice. And in chapter 2, we began to get some answers. Look at verses 1 through 3. And I will stand, Habakkuk says, at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And I will look to see what he will say to me and, and what answer I will give to him in this complaint. And the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on the tablet so that he, that herald, so that a herald basically may run with it. For the revelation waits for an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. There's that word wait again. It will certainly come home and not delay. Now, the first thing that we see that when, when you are in this situation and you're looking for answers from God, the first thing to do is to listen. It's just simply to listen. I know this isn't deep, but this is all biblical. And I'm just telling you, if you're in a situation where you're asking God to show up, you're asking God to move, you're asking God to do what only he can do. The first thing you do is you take a posture of listening. Look at verse 1 again. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself. And I will look to see what he has, what he will say to me and what answer I am to give this complaint. Slow down. Listen. When was the last time that you just pushed pause on life and everything else around you and you slowed down and you listened? You set aside some time and you just listened. For some of you, that type of a deal is just, it can be a long drive. You may, hey, I'm just going to drive to Iron Mountain, Michigan, and I'm just going to just, I've got to go do some business up north, or I'm going to do this or that, or I'm going to drive to Minneapolis, or I'm going to do whatever, and I'm just going to be on the road. I'm going to turn off the radio. I'm going to turn off the media. I'm going to turn off everything, and I'm just going to sit, and I'm just going to make myself open and available for God to speak to me as I'm just having this, this windshield time. Maybe it's, maybe it's going to a cabin up north or maybe it's going to some beach somewhere in Florida or something. You just get away for a day or two and you just go, I'm just going to carve this time out just to listen. Shut my mouth and just listen. Put myself in a posture where I can just listen. Maybe you go, man, I don't have time to take a drive somewhere. I don't have time to get on a plane and go somewhere. I, I don't have that type of luxury or that type of resource to do that. Maybe it's just going and finding a place to pray. A church, Michigan Avenue, there's a Presbyterian church right in the middle of all the heavens in that, 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 that magnificent mile there that they call that. 
I love because we're shopping and going and eating and doing all that great stuff. And there's all this hustle and bustle. And that door is always open. And you just step right inside there on the north end of the Magnificent Mile. And you just step inside and it's just this peaceful serenity. It's a sanctuary. It's why most churches call the auditorium in which they meet a sanctuary. It's a place of safety that goes all the way back to the Old Testament where God's house was to be a sanctuary. Sanctuary from evil. Sanctuary for refugees. Sanctuary to get away from the world and to get alone with God. Maybe it's you find just a local place somewhere on the other side of town where you typically don't go to. I have a couple little coffee shops and little corners and places that I go to, libraries or places, and I just get alone and I can just be quiet because nobody knows that I'm there. Sometimes you can get lost in a crowd. It's kind of fun sometimes. And just... Until somebody walks up and goes, hey, Pastor Aaron, how are you? Hi, how are you? Found out you found me. He's like, where's Waldo? There he is. (laughs) But just listen. When you're waiting on God, you got to get to a place where you can just listen. Number two, write. I know it's really deep. Write. Look at verse number two. He says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Write. Harvard did a study several years ago that said that of its graduates, those who wrote down their goals were 86% had a more higher likelihood of achieving success than those that did not write their goals down. Pretty simple. We know that we remember more when we physically write something down. Students actually retain more knowledge and more information when they write something down than when they type something out. If I'm going to give a speech or a talk that I've got a pretty much TED Talk kind of I have to have it memorized, I will write it out multiple times in order to be able to ingrain it. If I've got to memorize something, I will write it out multiple times because it just, it's, the, it's the pen uh, to paper. It's that process that kind of indelibly just kind of the rhythm of all that goes down there. And I don't, I'm not a writer. I'm not I don't, I feel like I'm more verbal than I am uh, written. And so I don't, but this is a discipline that I kind of tried to employ in my life. And, and I have r- countless numbers of journals that I have began that I've never finished. So if you're like that, join the club. But one of the things that I have found is as I began to write things down, there begins a flow, sometimes even a divine flow in some of that. It's one of the reasons why we do that soap journal for scripture, observation, application, and prayer that, you know, we kind of go through two chapters every day and we write things out. Why? Because sometimes just the value of writing out your prayers, writing out your thoughts, writing out those things. It's as though you're saying it as unto the Lord. There's just a certain flow that happens in that. And to go back and to read and to go back and to look and go back into that, just writing that down because many times things will happen and God will speak something or say something or you'll hear a verse even you'll hear something said in a sermon and I've had people do this to me go hey where is that in your notes it's nowhere in my notes I'm an extemporaneous speaker I do not manuscript anything if I did we would be here for days I literally on a 25 to 30 minute talk give me four no more than five pages of notes at an 18 point font which is really 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 big and it's getting bigger as my eyes are getting worse as I get older and that's how I know if I go six pages I will go 35 minutes I I just cut everything but I just know I know me I know how so there are things I say on accident maybe it's the Lord maybe it's not maybe it's bad Chipotle I don't know but it resonates with you and it's something that's there and you need to write that down Write it down so you don't forget it. 
3, wait. Wait. Habakkuk 2, 3, wait. Listen, write, wait. For the revelation awaits at an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. For it certainly will come and will not delay. Will my child ever come back to Christ? Will my relationship ever be restored? Will my job and my career ever advance? Will my spouse admit that they need help? No, if it's a man, he won't. What, what is it, right? It's just like, here's what we know about God's timing. God's seldom early. He's never late and he's always right on time. But God really loves to mess with us when it comes to timing. He, he really loves to kind of throw us off. And so, so, so but, but, the, but the Bible says, as God's speaking to Habakkuk, that this revelation, you got to wait. It's going to come at a point in time. God's going to reveal. The word revelation means to reveal. He's going to reveal his will. He's going to reveal his work. He's going to reveal his plan at an appointed time. Because God always works in timing. And God's timing is not our timing. The Bible says as a day is as a thousand years with the Lord. And a thousand years with the Lord is as a day. We, 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 we operate on this continuum of beginning and ending. This very finite sense of life. God is not bound by time. He has no beginning. He has no ending. God does not wear a wristwatch. God doesn't keep up with the time. So what do you do in the waiting? Chapter 3, Habakkuk declares, and he says three things, three words for us to reflect on in the waiting time. First of all, remember. When you wait, remember. Remember. Look at Habakkuk 3, verse 2, 3, and 4. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in all of your deeds. Repeat them in your day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and, and the one, the Holy One from, the, from Mount Paran, his glory covered the heavens. His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands, and where his power was hidden. He's speaking of all the things that God has done. He'll continue to go on, verses 5 through verse 15, and continue to talk about the great things of God. I don't have time today to, do all, to, to read that entire passage. But the essence of it is he's remembering what God's done. Why is that important to remember what God has done? Aaron, I don't need him to do something yesterday or even tomorrow. I need something right now. I'm praying for something right now. So you're telling me I need to wait. Yes, and in your waiting, remember what he's done. Why? Because when you remember what he's done, it gives you faith. It gives you confidence. It gives you growth. It gives you what you need for what he's about to do. Because you go back to, God, you didn't leave me here. And God, you didn't fail me here. And God, you didn't show up late here. And God, you did this here. It, it builds and it grows your faith. This is one of the reasons why even as parents, as, 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 as raising our families and our kids, it's important that we kind of connect the dots, that we kind of walk them through the process. So we, we, we say, remember, this is God showing up. And remember, this is what God's done. And, 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 and we're here because God's blessed our family and God's blessed the business and God's opened this door. And this is how this happened. This is why this is happening. And, and I'm telling you, how many times that my girls, their eyes have glazed over and they've rolled their eyes in the back of their head and they're like, whatever, here dad goes again on some other sermon. I don't know. I hope he doesn't take an offering on us. I don't have any money, do you? No, okay, great. Let's just hope. Only as they get older, at a certain point, they remember, dad, I remember you said. You're like, wow, they were listening. They do listen. 
contrary to popular opinion. And they begin to recite back to you. I had a conversation with one of my kids this past week. And she, it was the wildest thing. I, I can't go into all the details, but I had been praying and just kind of and for, for her. And uh, just, you know, that again, I've talked about this and it's, I've, I've just explained this. And, you know, at some point you just need to shut up, right? Just like, it's like, look, it's either going to take or it's not going to take. It's either going to work or not going to work, whatever. It's just got to give it to you. And um, anyhow, we're having a meal together, and she says to me, you know, Dad, I remember you saying ba da 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 And I began to look, and I'm not doing X, Y, Z. So I've kind of made a course correction in my life, and I'm having this conversation, I'm doing this, because isn't this how this works? I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't have to say anything, didn't have to do anything, but it was like it was kind of teed up in my mind, and then she goes right into it. There was no connection to it, to her at all. And it was all, it goes back to remember the things that were taught. Remember the things that were said. Remember, because as they begin to adult, they begin to live their life based upon the principles and precepts that you teach them. Because according to Deuteronomy, we're to teach and train our children to leave. Not to move to the basement, but to leave. Amen? (laughs) It's like that passage. Wait for it. Like Revelation. Though it may tarry, it will come. I mean, it's going to happen one day, you know. But to, to do, remember. Remember, 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 remember. In the Old Testament, every time God would do something, they'd build an altar. It was like a physical monument. And the reason why they would do this, every time they would walk by there, they would tell the story again. And I could see probably their kids are going, oh, here Dad goes again. This is where David slew Goliath, and he picked up some stones over here, blah, blah, blah. Thanks, yeah, Dad, we get it. People don't change. We're all the same. Why would they do that? Because there's going to come an age where Johnny or Sally are going to grow up and you're not going to be there. And they're going to go, I remember my dad used to say that God will show up. I remember my dad would take us to church. I didn't understand it then, but I get it now. I remember my dad would pray. I remember dad saying that God was the one that would provide. I remember, remember, I remember the time when God showed up. Secondly, embrace. In your waiting, embrace. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16, 17, and 18. I heard my heart pound. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig leaves do not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. He's basically saying people are going to suffer. Some people are going to, to die. Habakkuk is acknowledging it might get worse before it gets better, but I will still rejoice. Rejoice means to have joy again in the Lord. We enjoy God on the mountaintops, so we learn to trust him in the valleys. And in these times of waiting, embrace what God is doing. Embrace. I'm going to talk about this just for a second. It's what I call the hell in the hallway. Your life is like, it's like a series of doors and open doors and opportunities. And when God opens a door, you begin to walk through that door. And a lot of people will live life in fear. 
One of the phrases that Jesus uses more than anything else in the New Testament is fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. God is never present in fear. When you begin to fear, you begin to feel fear, fear of death, fear of, fear of unknown, fear of the future. God's never in that. We, can I just help you? We were not hardwired or created to be fearful. We were created to be fearless. Why? Because we're created in the image and likeness of God. And what sin does in our life and what this world does in our life and what it tries to shrink you like a pair of 501 button fly blue jeans. It just tries to shrink you down, just reduce you down and allow fear to come in and to control you instead of being fearless, which is completely against the grain of the flesh, but fearless and stepping into that God-like quality that he's given you to trust in him because your trust isn't in you. Your trust isn't your ability, but it's in him. And so, so a lot of times people will just go, I'm, I, I can't go out of the hallway because there's uncertainty and I, I can't leave what I got because I don't know what I'm going to get. And so many people live life so small. But for those of you in this room, they go, no, 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 no. I believe greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I believe I will overcome by the blood of, by the word of my testimony, by the blood that Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that God will do greater things and exceedingly and abundantly above all I could think or ask. For those of you only, there's only a few of you, I'm sure, in the room. Most people are just curled up in fear in that back room. No? Okay, good. So for all of us in this room that are lion chasers, for all of us in this room that are willing to take hell on with a water gun, can I get a witness? Amen. I'm about to preach. For all of us that are like that, here's the deal. You step out of the comfort. You step out of the safety. You step out of what you know, and you step into this hallway. It takes faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And yet the other door has not opened. This door has shut, and it's the hell in the hallway of waiting. Because I'm waiting. I know I'm not supposed to be there, but this door hasn't opened. I don't know what was, I know what's behind me. I'm kind of thinking what I know what's in front of me, but I'm not completely clear. I'm just living life palms up. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. Parenthetical thought. You realize no one in this room has control. Do you know that? (laughs) Some of you have this false delusion. I've got control. No, you don't, man. The markets could crash tomorrow. It could all. Look at the volatility of the world that we live in. If I don't scare you right now, I don't know what will. It could all go down. But there's only one that remains. And this is what Habakkuk understands. It's the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. And the Bible says that he holds the entire oceans of this world and the hollow of his hands, that he directs the hearts and the minds and, 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 and the, the, the decisions of the kings and the kingmakers on this planet. He directs them as he does the course of the waterways of, of the most powerful river, rivers and tributaries on the face of the planet, that there is nothing that God is not in full control of. Even my friend passing away this week, even though I don't understand it, I don't get it, I have questions because I'm fine. I'm limited, but God is infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and last, that which was and is to come and forevermore shall be. And so what I do is I step back and I rickety, rickety check myself. I rickety, rickety wreck myself and just say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your ways are beyond my ways. And so I will check me and I will trust in you. And in the waiting, I will embrace the moment that you are still here. And it doesn't matter if all of my critics say you're crazy, stand in line, take a number, that's been said before. And if it doesn't matter if they all think that I've lost it, it's okay. Better to be with you. Better to be one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. 
And Habakkuk says, I will trust the Lord. I will rejoice again in the Lord. I will trust him. The third thing you do is strengthen yourself. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. I mean, I could preach a whole series on this next verse, and I won't. I got two minutes and four seconds. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. For he makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk declares that the Lord will strengthen him in this season. Let me explain this. The sovereign Lord is my strength. So first of all, he's not God. He's Lord. There's a difference. Even the demons in hell tremble at the mention of the name of Jesus. But he's not their Lord. They just know how powerful he is. I've sat across the table. I've been in lecture halls with leading theologians who probably have forgotten more about theological exegesis than I will ever remember, but they have no relationship with him. And they call him God. They call him Jehovah, but they don't call him Lord. What's the difference? The difference is a mental or a cognitive assent that there is a higher being. His name is God, and he may have done some things and been in power, and he's powerful and all that, but he's disconnected from me. He's out there somewhere. But to say he's Lord, says he's mine. I have searched, I have read, I have studied, and I believe that he is the one true God. I believe that there's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except through the name of Jesus. So he is my Lord. He's not just God. He's not just a supreme uh, being. He's not just deity along a whole other lines of some Greek mythology of beings the way the Romans would view him. No, he is my God. He is my Lord. Habakkuk doesn't declare him as God, as Jehovah. He said he's Lord. And not only is he Lord, but it says he's sovereign. It uses the word sovereign to denote who God is. What does sovereignty mean? Sovereignty means that God's in control. Sovereignty means that he works in cooperation with us because he chooses to. The same way, you know, I'll never forget being on a bicycle, on a tandem bicycle with my youngest. And we were going over the Golden Gate Bridge because I thought it'd be a great lifetime memory. And it was, except Tammy hated it. She still hasn't gotten over it. But anyhow, and I said, let's go from from San Francisco over the bridge to Sausalito and we'll have uh, pizza and we'll have gelato and we'll ferry back across. And my little little seven-year-old Ava, she had that helmet on. On. She had her windbreaker on and she was just pedaling with all her might and she had no idea she wasn't doing any of the work, but she kept saying, Daddy, I'm helping you. I'm helping you. I'm helping you. I'm helping you. That's what sovereignty looks like. God's in control. He's driving the bike. He's letting you on for the journey. The wind's going through your hair and you're behind him saying, God, I'm with you. God, I'm helping you. God, I am. And God's saying, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Sovereignty. God's in control. Listen, it doesn't matter who gets in the White House. God's in control. Some of you need to be set free on that. He's in control. It doesn't matter if you're candidate or not your candidate or no candidate. It doesn't matter. God's in control. It doesn't matter whether the market's up or down. God's in control. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world in which we live. God is in control. And Habakkuk says, in the middle of the most dismal days in the nation of Israel, God, you are sovereign. 
I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. If I were in your seat, God, I would probably do things a little bit different. The way some of you may view today's football game at three o'clock, I would probably would have thrown and rolled out of the pocket here. I stayed there to pass it off there. I'd have given it to Jones here. You may armchair quarterback a few things, but you know what, God, you're in control. And it says that the sovereign Lord is my strength. Man, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. My hope is not built on you. My hope is not built on me. My hope is not built in this world. Oh, no, no. I'm a pilgrim on a journey looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm like Abraham. My eyes have seen the Lord God of glory. And that's where my face is. That's where my, that's, so I run this race, not looking it to the left or to the right, not listening to the cheers or to the boos, but I keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Because there's only one person I need to please. And he's my sovereign Lord. You may not believe it, Don't email me this week. You may not like it. I'm not really interested. I might have offended you by the narrowness of my thinking and my theology, my ideology in life. And to that, I would say, go to Lowe's and get a ladder and get over it. But I'm with Habakkuk on this. He, my sovereign Lord, will become my strength. In the middle of my waiting, As I embrace him and I remember what he's done, he will become my strength. And in that strength, he will make my feet like the feet of deer. Whether I'm on the craggly rocks of the mountaintop, I'm going to stand firm. Whether I'm descending down to the depths of the valley, I'm going to be firm. Whether I'm on the very top or I'm on the very bottom, wherever you put me, my feet are going to be firm. I'm going to be able to handle whatever terrain you give me, whatever situation you throw at me. Because it's not me. Because that's not my strength. My strength doesn't come from me. My strength doesn't come from my intelligence. My strength doesn't come from my power. My strength doesn't come from me. My strength comes from the Lord. My sovereign Lord. So whatever you're facing, whatever's going on, your waiting time is not wasted time. It's a moment where you strengthen yourself in the Lord. You embrace the hand of Jesus and you remember what he's done. And even though you may be in that hallway that feels hellacious right now, God will open the door in his right time and his right way. You're not crazy. You've, you've not lost your mind. The revelation will come. God will reveal his will. Wait for it. Wait for it. Don't get ahead of God. Don't try to push ahead. Don't try to help God out. He doesn't need your help. He, just like my daughter on, on that tandem bicycle going across the Golden Gate Bridge. Just enjoy the ride. Just keep thinking that you're helping him. He's in control. He's in control. He's in control. But wait, because your waiting time is not wasted time. Father, I just thank you for your word that it's yes and it's amen. And I just pray, help us to still our hearts and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want to do today. I'm going to have the band come out. And I'm going to have them sing a song that they did in the worship set. So if you just remain seated just for a minute, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Matter of fact, I just kind of want you to sit. Because some of you, what, I, what we're talking about today, this is, this is all up in your neighborhood. This is your zip code. This is where you're living right now. And there's something where you just need to sit and let this simmer just for a minute. Before, before you turn the cook stove off and you're done, just let this simmer just a minute. Let it just kind of marinate. 
in your heart for just a minute. Some of you, you just need to be reminded that God's in control. Some of you, you need to be reminded that he's sovereign. Some of you need to be reminded that he's Lord. Maybe some of you need to ask Jesus Christ to come in your heart and come in your life and be your Lord and your Savior today. And it's that simple even in these next few moments just to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I believe that you are my salvation. Come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. I don't know what you're going through. But I know if I was sitting where you were sitting today, what I want to do is just sit and cry. I got up early this morning, so did a lot of you because, hey, daylight savings time. This is one of the best weekends that the church will have all year long because you got an extra hour. I don't understand some things right now. And again, I hope you'll be back because we're going to unpack that next weekend theologically. What does God's word say? But here's what I know right now. I just need to sit and wait. So I'm going to have this band sing this song. You don't even have to sing. You don't have to do anything. But just sit in God's presence. See, this is the power of the church. Not the pastor. Not a program. But Matthew 18, 19 says where Jesus says, wherever there are two or more gathered together in Jesus' name, there he is in the midst. So he's here. That's the power of community. That's the power that we have to come together. This is what you can't get online. Sorry if you're watching online. This is what you can't get online. It's what you can't get sitting at home or listening to a podcast. Sitting in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit can do more in your heart in these next couple of moments than a hundred hours of counseling can do, than a thousand conversations, than a million sermons. So I wanna pray for you, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever's going on, and I just want you just to sit as we sing this song, and then we'll come back and we'll close everything out. It's not gonna be long, three minutes and 42 seconds. Father, I just thank you today for your Holy Spirit that's in this place. I pray, Lord, we open our hearts to you. We surrender ourselves to you. And God, right now, I just pray, speak. In Jesus' name, amen.